is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, Dan Fitzgerald is my name and thanks for joining me for the Country Hour this Monday lunchtime. Great to have you along. Today you're going to hear from a cattle station in the Barclay that has had nearly 400 millimetres of rain in the last week. The long-term benefits to the you know, condition of the country as far as grass cover and, um, you know, we've obviously got a full profile moisture going into the cooler months. So, um, yeah, so it's uh, sort of setting up to be a hell of a season. Yeah, quite a wet season there in the Barkley. Uh, one station in particular had to ha- have its staff leave because of flooding around the homestead. I'll tell you more about that soon. The administrators of Scott's Refrigerated Transport have failed to find a buyer for the business and will begin liquidating the company. What does all this mean for farmers and for supermarkets? We'll be taking a look this afternoon. And we're going to catch up with a territory researcher that is heading overseas to learn how to better improve date production in the Red Centre. So in the future, we might draw back to the genetics from these varieties to develop some of the varieties that are climate resilient or which are suitable to various growing conditions. All that coming up on your radio or in your podcast this afternoon. But first up today, let's head out to the Victoria River region. That is the sound of the Victoria River, 21 metres high, barrelling past the Vic River Roadhouse out to the southwest of Catherine. So this is the floodwaters that damaged the communities of Dagaragu, Kaukarinji and Pigeonhole last week, continues to head downstream. And over the weekend, the Victoria Highway was cut after the river rose above the bridge. And as we go to air, it is currently more than two metres above the bridge deck there at the Vic River crossing. A short time ago, I had a chat to the manager of the Victoria River Roadhouse, Denise Walsh, and asked her what her weekend was like. A little nail-biting, to be honest. Um, Conflicting information on when it was going to peak and how high it was going to go. Uh, We've got our eye markers out there, so we were monitoring it very, very closely through the night. The river did come up to the driveway of the roadhouse and through our campground, or part of our campgrounds. And, yeah, it just kept rising and there was no sign of when it was going to recede. However, I've just been out there and I can just see on the road where it just started to go down a tiny little bit and our 22-metre sign has just popped back out of the water. You can just see the tip of it. So I'm hoping that it doesn't rain. The river's 22 metres high. That's um, it's an incredible amount of water to be uh, running down that river. Just what does it look like? Just water. You can't see the other side of it. It's about two kilometres wide now, I believe, from an aerial shot that I was given. Yeah, it, there's just no no end to it looking the other side. And the whole place is just like it's a massive big lake with trees in it. And how are you going there at the roadhouse? Uh, have you had any damage from the flooding yet? 
No, that's what we've been keeping a close eye out for. Um, some of our lower campgrounds, of course, the power poles and things went underwater, so we'll be having to have them looked at. But, um, like I said, if it keeps receding, I think we're just scraped in by the skin of our teeth on um, coming through the the roadhouse. So. And how are you going yeah. there? Have you got enough supplies to keep yourselves um, going? We've got plenty of supplies and we've still got power. Um, the generators run the roadhouse. We were on the verge of having to shut them down if it come up much higher. We have to monitor the back of the property as well because that's um, lower ground and it sort of comes up around us, behind us and the side of us. So we have to keep an eye on that. But, yeah, we were all packed and ready to go to higher ground a couple of days ago. And we've just been monitoring it um, through the night, taking it in turns, getting up and seeing where it's sitting. So to make sure we had enough time to get out safely if we had to. And how many of you are there at the roadhouse? Do you have any travellers that are that are stuck? No, we sent them all back um, the other day and the police did a great job when they came out on uh, Friday, I think it was, um, when the bridge started to go on the Catherine end. The water police at a station at Timber Creek came out, made the decision to shut the road at Catherine um, because any travellers that were on the road just sort of getting, they'll just get through the bridge. And then we only had one lot after that that we actually turned back and told them to go back to Catherine while they can still cross that bridge. So we were very lucky. There's only three of us here myself and my husband and a worker. And when are you expecting the bridge to go, the water to go back below the bridge and for the highway to reopen? They predict a week for the bridge to be back in operation. I mean, from what I'm told, there's two different scenarios. What I was told um, directly is the bridge sits at 17 metres at the base. So there's five metres of water over that road, depending on what the road's like underneath. Who knows? And, um, yeah, it, it's going to take a little while. You know, the water goes down fairly fast, but um, they reckon a week before that bridge will reopen for traffic to be able to pass it. Uh, must be a, a bit of a hit on your business too, being uh, having no customers for, for quite some time. Oh, definitely, because the other end, they close the road at Timber Creek at the same time as they close the road to Catherine. So we've just sat on an island in the middle for a little while with uh, just three people. <laughs> that is Denise Walsh. She's the manager at the Victoria River Roadhouse currently cut off by floodwaters as we go to air this afternoon according to the Bureau of Meteorology's website the Victoria River at that Victoria River crossing is currently 21.8 metres high and rising it is 2.3 metres above the bridge deck if you've ever driven across that um, bridge there on your way from Catherine to Timber Creek uh, it is a huge bridge um, what did Denise say? It's over a kilometre wide at the moment. So there is a lot of water heading downstream at the moment. And that has, of course, caused the Victoria Highway to be cut. So the Vic Highway, it's currently closed a bit, little bit further towards Catherine at the Buntine Highway intersection. Uh, the Buntine Highway itself, uh, it is closed a bit further south at Top Springs to Kalkaringi. Uh, the Stewart Highway has some water over the road about 40 k's to the north of Tennant Creek and is currently only open to high-clearance vehicles. Uh, the Barclay Highway has uh, water over the road at various locations in between three ways and the Queensland border. And the Roper Highway is currently closed to flooding at the corner of the Stewart Highway intersection. 
and all of that rain in the Barkley region uh, that was uh, across the place late last week, that has actually washed away a 200-metre section of the Adelaide to Darwin rail line. Repairs on that line, they're expected to take four or five days at this stage. Um, And in the meantime, trains are being unloaded in Alice Springs and freight put onto trucks to head north to to supply uh, supermarket shelves and other essential freight. Uh, Louise Bellato from the NT Road Transport Association explained what was happening to Joe Laverty this morning. Again, the road transport industry is stepping up uh, this weekend. Have, they've done a huge um, amount of heavy lifting, taking those 48-foot containers uh, that uh, were on the train in Alice Springs. So we had um, one of the trains that was in um, north of Tennant Creek that had to return to Alice Springs from last Monday, that left Adelaide last Monday. So those um, containers that were on that particular train will be arriving in Darwin later this afternoon with um, all of the the freight that was in those containers. And then the same has happened for Tuesday and Wednesday's uh, trains that uh, stopped in Alice Springs only and all of the um, container freight has been coming north via trucks. And that's a huge logistical exercise, I have to tell you. And uh, today a train will be leaving Adelaide that was uh, uh, Saturday and Sunday's combined uh, freight from Adelaide that will uh, again stop in Alice Springs. So the retailers that um, have been making arrangements for the trucks in Alice Springs to come north are um, well organised and well prepared. Uh, There are some that are just sort of getting organised now. So we may see some um, gaps in some supermarkets, but um, there will be others that um, have done very, very well through this process Mm. and are um, on the ball. Do you have a sense at all, Louise, of what exactly is delayed, what, what, what we can't get at the moment? No, it depends what's in those um, those first containers from last Monday that are only getting through to um, Darwin tonight um, and whether they're mostly dry goods like, you know, dog food and, um, uh, you know, washing materials and things like that or uh, whether they also contain some um, other uh, refrigerated content. But the... The critical issue for us, obviously, is the state of the Stewart Highway. Um, you know, the Barclay was closed uh, over the weekend. It's it's reopened, but um, it's had a huge amount of water on it. So we are very reliant on the Stewart Highway holding up. And um, we know that there was, you know, significant damage uh, south of Tennant Creek around, you know, after Christmas with that huge uh, flooding event. And there are big potholes in the road mm. again. And um, we know that there's been a few trucks that have sustained damage on that road so we're urging everyone to you know show caution and that there will be a lot more truck movements for the week whilst um, the rail is down. And Louise just before we let you go how are the drivers going at the moment? The Our truckies are very um, adaptable. Uh, the critical issue has been the uh, actual um, uh, equipment because those 48 foot containers can only go on um, skills on on particular types of trailers not just uh, regular flat tops so it's it's access to the um, the 
you know, equipment that's been the problem, and also the um, refrigerated bands that are now doing Alice to Darwin that would have normally been going Darwin back through to Adelaide. Uh, that'll cause some um, impacts. And as we know from last week, um, you know, we've had that other um, trucking company that has gone into voluntary receivership. So there's been a lot of uh, refrigerated vans taken out of the Australian supply chain. So there's not um, quick access to a lot of those um, specialised trailing equipment. Louise Bellato, she's with the NT's Road Transport Association, speaking there to Louise, Bal- speaking there to Joe Laverty earlier this morning. Um, and that trucking company that Louise mentioned there uh, that went into receivership, that is Scott's Refrigerated Logistics. Uh, it was or is a national freight company that uh, operates right across mainland Australia and was the sole supplier for refrigerated products to supermarket giants Coles and Audi. As Louise mentioned, it went into voluntary administration last Monday. And since then, uh, its administrators have not been able to find a buyer for the business. Uh, Scott Langdon, he's from Administrators Court of Mentha, he told Warwick Long what's happened since Scott's went into receivership and Cornamentha took control. So after we got appointed um, late uh, Monday night, um, we, we went out and actively sought interested parties to see who would be able to buy the business and continue it as a going concern. Um, but given the financial position of the business and the severity of the cash flow, um, a negative position that business found itself within, we were only able to run a very short sale process and uh, ultimately, none of the interested parties um, who were very strong counterparties, good bona fides, would have been good purchasers, could uh, transact within the time frame uh, that we were looking to transact within. And ultimately, we made the decision on Friday afternoon that um, a going concern sale wasn't uh, available and we'll commence uh, a wind down of the operations. Um, customers were, were, made of, uh, were advised late Friday afternoon um, the employees were made uh, were advised late Friday afternoon that the business will be winding down. But I suppose what's transpired since then is that um, it's very clear that uh, we are probably going to enter into a uncontrolled wind down due to the financial situation of the business. That means that um, you know we will be, in all likelihood, um, not being able to hit, uh, produce products, um, our services to customers. And the customers won't be able to ultimately deliver to the retailers on a on a business as usual basis. Um, I can say that Nick Cap, the CEO, has done a tremendous job of rallying the senior management team to put a plan in place to try and mitigate the loss. And you know, the 1,500 employees are incredibly passionate about their business. And what we're trying to do is to make sure that we can wind the business down in a manner that has harm minimizations to employees, to suppliers, to customers but that challenge is becoming bigger and bigger and harder and harder given the financial state of the business. And as we've advised customers today, as we've advised um, third parties, that we don't have confidence that we can do it in a controlled manner given the financial severity um, that the business finds itself in. And we are trying to do our best to work with stakeholders to sort of slow down the wind down. But at the moment, um, we're finding it incredibly challenging given the financial situation of the business. Yeah, the, the term uncontrolled wind down, does that suggest really that there are even a lot of unknowns about what sort of work and how you're going to do it from here? That's right. But we, we spent a lot of time with management over the weekend and 
And one of the things that we're trying to work out, where's the impact going to be felt most? And, and the team, my team and the management team have worked together and it's clear that the, the, the logistics, Scots is a massive logistical provider to the regional parts of Australia. And um, that's likely to have an immediate impact on the farmers and the small to medium businesses there because um, the product that's currently in the ground or being picked by the farmers around the country would be reliant and been planning on Scots to transport their product around the country. And, you know, one of the one of the customers said that, you know, we've got 5,000 pallets of fresh watermelons in Bundaberg that were going to be taken by Scots in the week ahead. We won't be able to produce that. And the specific pockets which we think are going to be probably the most exposed, and we're just trying to work out how we do the minimisation of the harm. But far north Queensland, uh, the Mildura region, the Riverina, uh, Renmark in South Australia, the pockets where um, our planning um, with management feel like they're most exposed, but um, the business is in such a financial state that absent some support financially from outside the business that it's likely to go into an uncontrolled wind down, albeit you know, the, the management team and our team are doing everything possible to minimise the damage to, to, to customers and to ensure we can still pick up the produce and also you know, get it onto the shelf. So not being able to find a buyer and going into an uncontrolled wind down, what does that mean for Scott's employees? It's it's tragic, and you know, the, 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 for the employees that you know, you, you speak to the employees and see how proud they are of their business. There's a lot of employees who have been there for such a long time, and if we had some more financial assistance, we could see the business close in a in a very dignified way, in a in a way that has harm minimisation to employees and customers. But um, ultimately, um, the business will be wound up, and and the employees will not be employees of Scotts going forward. And uh, we are doing what we can to try and find uh, new opportunities for employees. The um, the customer group um, and stakeholders around the business have been incredibly generous with reaching out to try and re um, reemploy the employees. So we are you know, doing all things possible to to connect new employers with the employees. And you know, ultimately, you know, our heart sinks for the employees for the situation they find themselves in, the uncertainty that they find themselves in. But what we need to do is. Hopefully we can get some external support, close the business down in a meaningful and dignified way so the harms are reduced and hopefully facilitate new employment for the for the staff, for the 1,500 staff who have been so incredibly loyal to the business but also been incredibly supportive of the Cordamenta team since we um, got involved. Scott Langdon here with Administrators Corda Mentha speaking there about the winding up of Scott's refrigerated logistics. Uh, if you want to read more on that story, uh, there is an online article up on the ABC Rural website. So if you just jump into your browser and type ABC Rural and you can follow the links there. It is 12 minutes to one here on the Country Hour. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. You're on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. We're also available via the podcast. Uh, time now for a tune. Um, and up after this one, uh, we are going to, you're going to meet one of the finalists for the NT Rural Women's Awards. This one is the Black Sorrows, goes out to all the truckies on the road this afternoon. The Black Sorrows there. This is The Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald, on ABC Radio right across the Territory. Now, this week on the program, we're introducing you to the finalists for the NT Rural Women's Award. 
the winner of this award, they will receive a $15,000 bursary to be used to support a project. And the winner will also be able to complete a professional development training course of her choice. Now, the finalists here in the Territory are Eileen Breen, Nicole Brown and Simone Cameron. Now, uh, we'll be hearing all of their stories across the program this week. Um, and today it is congratulations to Simone Cameron, who's the NT Farmers Regional Director based in Catherine. Her proposed project is about focusing on helping uh, producers to use and interpret high-resolution maps of their properties to better manage their land. Max Rowley spoke to her about the work. The capture that we've done to date that is happening up here under the Unearthing Resilient Landscapes is close to around 240,000 hectares has been captured, which is really exciting because these high-resolution maps... Captured or, or mapped. Yeah, 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 mapped, captured. So it's, it's imagery that's captured and then you, from that imagery and that, that data set, so you can then pull out um, understanding appreciation of erosion and sediment controls, not only in areas where we know are known erosion areas but we can also identify in the landscape we'll be able to identify other areas that we perhaps didn't even know about and they could be intrinsically linked or they might sit independently on their own. So it's the largest known capture that I'm aware of to this point for the benefit of mapping landscapes to understand and appreciate the nuance of the landscape. What's the value of these maps? What use could they have? I see the value as an unearthing our ability to uh, improve our management practices of the landscape. Uh, We obviously, you know, well, we're sitting in a a tropical monsoon burst system at the minute, which I would say I haven't personally seen in this region for a number of years. I'm thinking, you know, at least eight, probably more. And so our weather patterns are changing, changing in a sense that they're becoming, you know, there's, there's not a consistency in some of the way in which our weather's rolling in and out of the different seasons you know our dry seasons are getting longer and hotter and our wet seasons are getting shorter and more intermittent or isolated areas of rainfall events so it's it is there is variances there and I think this is a tool that can be used to help understand and to help sort of work in with with systems to to be able to add value to your whole natural capital asset management of your landscape. So obviously we have, you know, Northern Territory is made up predominantly of pastoral lease properties um, and then there's freehold properties out there as well. And who do you see using this kind of technology or benefiting from it in the future? I see everyone can benefit from this kind of information Um, and that is in essence what's driving this project is to, one, to... um, bring in or to capture those interested in understanding and learning about the use of the technology, but also to provide those really strong support services because often, as we know now, we we can kind of be bogged down in data, but really, and there's probably a lot of data out there that, you know, even our phones are collecting every single day um, that we don't really understand or truly appreciate. So the idea behind this is to capture data that then provide layers of support services so that people out there can appreciate and understand and, and, and know what it is that this, what this data, the value add that this data can have to their businesses or enterprise. So that's pretty much why I'm, I'm here, to help be that person to support those services to develop them.
And as part of the Rural Women's Award, um, there's a $15,000 bursary that you'll be able to use towards your project. What would you like to use that on if, if you do come away with this award? Yeah, so that's really an amazing opportunity to be able to you know, one, be recognised for the award in essence, but two, then to have that, you know, support personally to be able to deliver the project to the capacity that I know I'd like to deliver it. And up till this point, a lot of that's been, it's been in kind. So my in-kind contribution, purely based on my desire and my appreciation or my um, understanding around the value of making sure that the data's just not sat on the shelf. So for me, or for this project, essentially, it would be about using that money to help to develop how-to guides not only to how to understand what the data is has captured, but also how to uh, navigate and use the software that would that the data needs to run through. So that can be that's that's quite complicated in its own right. And and, and I guess being, you know, many years spent as an educator, that that naturally comes in for me to make sure that, you know, whilst it's empowering for me to understand how that works, it's really equally important for me to impart that knowledge onto other people and to have them feel reasonably comfortable bringing together a suite of support material and resources essentially so that the proponents or the participants that are involved now can walk away with um, one, having a person that they have contact, so that being myself with regard to questions, um, and two, you know, feel reasonably expert in their own right um, to be able to take that data off the shelf, put it into their computer and ask certain things of that data that they can then generate reports and information and, and, and value out of. Simone Cameron, she is a finalist for the NT's Rural Women's Award. Well done to Simone and well done to the other finalists, Eileen Breen and Nicole Brown. You'll be hearing from both of those women on the Country Hour this week before the NT winner is announced this Wednesday, the 8th of March, on International Women's Day. We are coming up to the 1 o'clock news, and after that we'll be crossing to the Weather Bureau. If you have a question for the Bureau, please send me a text on 0487 991057. Already got one in here from Greg. Thanks to Greg, getting in early. Yeah, any questions for the Weather Bureau, let us know. And I'll be back on your radio in about five minutes. Ah, Max's Turtle, cattle class, tow drive for Sherbet Livestock. We're all flat out, give us plenty of room on the road and you're listening to the Country Hour. Hey there, my name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks for joining me on the Country Hour. And speaking of roads, there's uh, plenty of action on the roads, or not much action in the case of some some places. Uh, The Victoria Highway is closed from the Buntine Highway to the WA border. Uh, There's water over parts of the Stewart Highway and the Barclay Highway. Best way of keeping up to that date on that is via the Roads NT website. And speaking of the Barclay, we're going to check in with a cattle station there that over the last week has had more than f- almost 400 millimetres of rain. The long-term benefits to the you know, condition of the country as far as grass cover and um, you know, we've obviously got a full profile moisture going into the cooler months. So um, yeah, so it's a 
sort of setting up to be a hell of a season. Yeah, we'll head to that station uh, shortly. But first up, uh, we're going to check in with the Weather Bureau. We've got Rebecca Patrick on deck today. How are you, Beck? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Dan. That's the way. Um, let's just start off with uh, some of the warnings that are about um, the Victoria River is uh, still in flood. What do we need to know there? Yeah, that's right. So all of that, those floodwaters have made their way down uh, to uh, where the river crosses the Victoria Highway. It has gone over the bridge, as you mentioned. Um, still is rising, uh, expected to peak um, probably tomorrow and likely to stay above that bridge level um, until late in the week. So, yeah, pretty significant event there. Um, good news is that we're not seeing a lot of rainfall um, this week through that Victoria River catchment. So, um, yeah, shouldn't shouldn't see too much in the way of additional rainfalling within that catchment. So, yeah, the good news at least for that. Um, and what it might peak tomorrow. Do you know how high it could get? Um, so looking at um, getting up to, uh, I think I heard around 20 two to 23 metres. Um, I can't find the, the exact number that we were predicting at this stage, but um, yeah, it's certainly it's slowing down. We're, we're seeing on our on our levels, so um, that's, that's something. Okay. Um, and in terms of rainfall across the top end in the next few days, um, what, what are things looking like? Uh, so today it has been, um, or and overnight, it has been a bit more active across the top end than what we did see on the weekend. Uh, currently seeing uh, a fair bit of thunderstorm activity just south of Darwin, so through the rural area around Acacia Hills, uh, extending southwest to around the Daly River mouth, and that's making its way northwards. Um, we've also had some fairly significant rainfall around the the northern Arnhem coast, 160 millimetres at Elko Island to 9am this morning um, and also expecting some uh, reasonable rainfall around the eastern Carpentaria district and northeastern Barclay uh, associated with that low pressure system that's in the uh, southern Gulf of Carpentaria at the moment. Okay, um, we had a call from Lars. He's uh, interested to know how much rain there might be across the Kakadu region over the next few days. What does what can you tell Lars? Yeah, so today and tomorrow, uh, relatively active in terms of those showers and storms right across the top end, including Kakadu. Um, we're expecting the heavier falls, though, to be uh, more the Carpentaria district, so um, just fairly moderate. Um, moderate falls through Kakadu, um, so and then easing off uh, from Wednesday. And in that Carpentaria region, that's where that uh, tropical low went um, over the weekend. Uh, where is that expected to track? It's going to be fairly slow moving over the, the next few days. So it is in the southern Gulf of Carpentaria, um, pretty close to the NT Queensland border, uh, we'll track around that southeastern parts of the Gulf of Carpentaria most likely for the next few days before uh, heading a bit further south inland over Queensland. Uh, so for the NT, the heavier falls are going to be closer to the, the Queensland border than further west, um, with Queensland expected to, to have some quite heavy falls through through their inland parts. Um, but, yeah, not 
so bad for the NT. Yeah, okay. Um, and another question on the text line we've had here from Greg, um, who wants to know how Darwin is looking for its total rainfall this wet season. Uh, pretty good. Uh, so we did have that, that good start to the season um, through December in particular and early January. Um, and then, of course, the last uh, week or so, uh, we've had another bump up in our rainfall so we are sitting above average for the wet season um, so currently a little short of 1740 millimeters um, so the the average for um, for Darwin Airport is a little under 1700 so uh, have gone over that average and to date it's the 12th wettest so far 12th wettest wet season so far yeah. Okay. So to, we're tracking pretty well there. Yeah, pretty good. Um, Central Australia, it looks like um, might get a little bit cooler over the next day or two. Yeah. So there's a trough moving through the southern areas today uh, with a, a new ridge building from tomorrow, um, bringing some uh, fresh uh, southeasterly winds that will drop those temperatures uh, a few degrees over the, the next day or so. Um, so Yulara was quite hot yesterday, got above 40 degrees, but expecting to knock a few degrees off that. Um, and Alice Springs as well, getting down to about 31 degrees by Wednesday. So um, that'll be a nice change. Nice. Um, anything else we need to be aware of today, Rebecca? Uh, no, I think that's the main things. Just um, yeah, if you're in those areas where there has been that, that flooding, just keep an eye out for those warnings um, and be aware that there is still a fair bit of water over roads. Okay, thanks a lot. No worries. Thanks, Dan. That is Rebecca Patrick there at the Weather Bureau. It is 12 minutes past one here on the Country Hour. Aussie kids once rode their bikes to the corner shop. Welcome to our store. For some flour, the paper, some lollies. Where'd everything go? Join Annabelle Crabb to step back through time with the Ferone family. Voila! As they run a corner shop. <laughs> Look at your face. Ferone and son, where is the daughter? Back in time for the corner shop. We're used to running our own business. How could it be? Tuesday nights on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. Now, just sticking with the weather, it has been a wet start to the month at Alexandria Station on the Queensland border on the Barclay Tablelands. That property has had almost 400 millimetres in the gauge over the last week. About 260 millimetres of that fell in one 24-hour period. It's been a lot of rain in the Barclay. Uh, Max Rowley spoke to the manager of Alexandria, David Thornberry, earlier this morning. Very wet this morning. Um, we've recorded 391 mil for the month to date. All the river systems have, um, yeah, well and truly broken their banks. There's a lot of water has already gone past, but there's still a lot of water coming downstream. Had some minor flooding in um, on the outstation, sedan outstation that's caused a little bit of damage. And then here at Alexandria, we've just got a bit of water flowing through the shed. We've got eight inches of water probably going through the shed. So um, the Playford's up here at Alex. It's um, broken its banks. Hopefully it's stabilised. It was still rising last night when I was poking around 10 o'clock and then 4 o'clock again this morning. It was still rising, but hopefully it's starting to slow down now. It's 
stabilising a bit, so um, mightn't get much worse, hopefully. You mentioned some flooding at that outstation. Have you had to, to move anybody or evacuate people from any areas? Uh, no, all the staff are safe. The um, all, all the gear and uh, equipment, machinery, we move up onto a ridge just to the east of Sedan there, and it's high and dry there. Um, some of the staff are in Camwell, uh, but yeah, everyone's... Um, been through it earlier on in the year, so they're you know they're pretty well prepared for it down there. Doesn't take them long to get organised. Um, got a good routine going, so they uh, hook in, get everything up on the high ground, and um, just ride it out. Really, that's all they can do. And are you cut off then at the the main Alexandria homestead as well? Yeah, Max. We um, we've got the Rankin Road as our access road, and it's yeah. It's well and truly underwater in places. Saw some of it from the air yesterday, and there's a couple of spots there that have been gouged out a bit. The Rankin River's to the south. It's well and truly over the road, and the Buchanan River's in the middle of, of the property. It's well and truly over the road. So, um, yeah, it could be three weeks. Well, it's a bit of an unknown how long it's going to take before we can get vehicles up and down that. Do you have enough supplies for, for that amount of time? Yeah, yeah, no, we're all good on that front. Um, everything's obviously coming in with air traffic, uh, helicopter and plane, so there's no no problems there. Um, Fuel-wise, we're um, we're all good, so yeah, there's no problems at all on that front. And how are the cattle faring with all this wet weather and flooding? Cattle are good. Cattle were in good condition, very good condition before this last rainfall event. So that has uh, uh, was you know was a big positive just from flying around from aerial surveys we've done so far hasn't been too many uh, cattle that have been in distress so um, yeah really glad to see that um, these cattle are born and bred in this country so they uh, you know as soon as it starts getting wet they head for high ground most of these paddocks even though it's pretty flat they've got some high country in them where the cattle take refuge on that during these wet times so no, it's very pleasing to see the uh, condition of the cattle and, the, and where they were yesterday. Oh, that is good to hear. And from flying over, have you got a sense of just how much of the property is flooded? It's hard to put a figure on it. Um, some areas, some paddocks are obviously a lot more than others. But yeah, it's unbelievable to see the amount of water that's around from the air. Some paddocks, there could be, you know, 40, 50% of the paddock underwater. So yeah, it does... The, there's quite a bit of variation there. So what does this mean for the season ahead there at Alexandria? Well, it means a late start, late start to the mustering program, but it will set it up to, you know, it'll be a, it'll be a terrific season. Uh, cattle will be in, you know, very good condition by the time we get to them. They'll, uh, but, the, you know, the one positive is the um, the long-term benefits to the you know, condition of the country as far as grass cover and, um, you know, we've obviously got a full profile moisture going into the cooler months. So, um, yeah, so it's uh, sort of setting up to be a hell of a season. So even with, uh, you know, this much rain and even some flooding across the property, still still good news there for Alexandria? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's um, These events come through every so often and, um, you know, obviously... We get droughts and floods, but when you get these seasons like this, it just um, replenishes the whole system and um, it rebuilds what you've lost during the, during the 
drought years, you know. That is Alexandria Station's David Thornbury uh, speaking there to Max Rowley earlier this morning. Uh, the property there, almost 400 millimetres of rain in the last week or so. And, yeah, some of the aerial photos I've seen from that Barclay region there is a lot of water sitting on that flat country. Um, and by all reports, um, all the cattle are doing well and it looks like a great season ahead for many on the Barclay Tablelands. Hi, this is Robbie White. I'm the head stockman at Koala Station. We're just here today doing some cattle work and some work in the shed today, getting ready to do some fencing, and you are listening to The Country Hour. Now, just quickly, mining company called Lithium has announced a significant upgrade to its mineral resource at a deposit right next to its Finnis mine near Darwin. The BP33 deposit is the company's second proposed mine and is awaiting development approval. And after some exploration and drilling results, it has almost doubled in size. The CEO, Gareth Manderson, said uh, exploration to extend the life at the Finnis and identify growth opportunities is a priority for the business with an expanded drilling program for this financial this year. Time now for a tune. Um, Then we're going to catch up with a date researcher who is uh, jetting off from Central Australia to go find out how to uh, improve date production in Australia. But this is Tom Curtin. Tom Curtin there with Heaven on Earth. This is the Country Hour on ABC Radio right across the Territory. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. Thanks a lot for your company. Lenal Springs date researcher is heading overseas on a research trip to try and learn how to grow the fruit better. Uh, Girija Page, uh, who researches the date varieties at the Arid Zone Research Institute. Uh, she's going to tour India, the United Arab Emirates, Jordan and Israel over the next three weeks. Uh, she spoke to Victoria Ellis about what she hopes to gain from the experience. So today we are at Azri Date uh, Plantation. We have over 170 individual palm trees here and uh, there are more than 35 odd varieties. Most of these varieties are female varieties but there are also a few which are male. Basically the whole purpose of having Uh, these many varieties is because each represent uh, different genetics and uh, in the future this will help us in future proofing our uh, our farming systems so in the future we might draw back to the genetics from these varieties to develop some of the varieties that are climate resilient or which are suitable to various growing conditions and is that what your research is? Your research is about uh, finding out which varieties might be useful for different situations or contexts of growing? Yes, that is definitely one purpose of uh, having and establishing such a big uh, germplasm here at Azri is to look at which varieties we can grow in Australian conditions in the future which have uh, better fruit qualities, uh, which have better yields and different harvesting times. And that word germplasm, that's the one that you taught me earlier today, and it means a big variety of Germplasm basically means the diversity in the genetics. So each tree here 
has a different genetics just like you and me are different these individual trees are different and they have some very good qualities that we may not know that they have and some of these qualities might be become very important in the future so that is why it is important to maintain a big germplasm and this date palm that we're standing under in the shade of now can you tell me a little bit about the genetics of this one is it is it uh, in its genetics to have such spiky little prongs on it well <laughs> this is not specific to this particular individual but as you can see most of the trees here they are very spiky and that's that's what they are you know they are spiky and sweet and tell me how sweet is this one look i'm taking a crunch of um, one of these uh, fruits which is in bearing now and we are into the crunchy stage and it's very sweet and a little bit astringent so while many people think astringent is not good for taste it might have some medicinal properties which might be good for our health and astringent does that mean acidic or stringy mm. what does that word mean astringent what does it mean you just have to taste it to know what it means but it means that your tongue kind of goes a bit strange and it's it's a different taste from being sweet or being bitter or be, being salty you are heading off on a uh, tour overseas can you tell me a bit about that tour yes so i'm very excited for the upcoming um, capacity building tour to four different countries we start off with india go to dubai then to jordan and then finishing off in israel and um this i'm going with two other date growers uh, from within australia and this tour is partially funded by agrifutures australia and my trip is uh, partially funded by the australian date growers association so the idea of um, this overseas tour tori is to um, learn from the best in the industry so we will be visiting some of the best growers in the world some of the best research facilities in the world and this fact finding mission is very essential to identify some of the management practices or um, growing conditions here that we can work on to get the date industry to the place that we want how does the uh, industry of date growing in australia compare to the industries for date growing in jordan israel the uae and india good question tori so as a matter of fact australian date industry is it is in its infancy but it is an emerging industry and there is a lot of growth potential and uh, you know countries in the middle east such as jordan uae and israel they have grown dates for generations together so if there is one place to learn about how to grow dates how to manage dates it is these countries and the growers and the research facilities in these countries that knowledge that you bring back that will then be used to expand the growing industry here of course i mean um the whole purpose of this of this um overseas tour is to bring back knowledge information that is applicable for the support and help of uh, our date growers here and maybe in the future uh, also to explore some of the research and developmental opportunities that we might have with the world out there that is date researcher dr girija page speaking there to victoria ellis Uh, she's about to head off overseas on a multi-country tour, checking out date farms in India, the United Arab Emirates, Jordan and Israel over the next three weeks. And she'll be accompanied by Sean O'Connor, 
who produces dates at the Desert Fruit Company, uh, just near Santa Teresa in Central Australia there. That is it for the Country Hour for today. I'll be back on your radio at the same time tomorrow. Take it easy.